everybody. I'm Jessica Levinson, a professor at Loyola Law School, and welcome to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics, the law, a lot of things in between. I'm joined today by the show's co-host and producer, Joe Armstrong, and we are going to talk you through a few of the biggest legal and political topics of the week. So, Joe, what specifically are we discussing today? All right, Jessica, you are right. We have a number of things. We are going to talk about New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's recent hot water. We're going to talk about Congressman Eric Swalwell's suit against Congressman Mo Brooks for inciting the insurrection at the Capitol. And we're going to give you an update on whether we will ever see Trump's taxes, Bueller, 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 that will come around to play later. (laughs) So jumping right in, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is facing calls to resign after a 168-page report released by the New York Attorney General that alleges multiple incidents of sexual harassment of female staffers as well as other women. Cuomo had risen to national fame during his daily press briefings early in the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020 and was once a possible candidate for president. But now President Joe Biden and New York Mayor Bill de Blasio, among others, a growing number of notable figures are calling on Cuomo to step down. So, Jessica, what are the origins of this particular report? The origins are complaints about his behavior. The origins are women coming forward and saying that Governor Cuomo engaged in behavior that was not only inappropriate, but may have risen to the level of being actually illegal. And that's basically what was detailed in this report. Again, that there is a pervasive toxic culture in the governor's office. And that's a lot of what this report talks about. It is certainly generating a lot of light and heat in the media. So can you talk us through some of the details of this report? So the report itself, 168 pages. New York Attorney General Letitia James asked for two outside attorneys to look into these allegations. They spent, I think, about five months. They talked to 179 people. 11 different women came forward with stories of problematic and, in fact, likely illegal behavior. And it is a very thorough report that paints a very ugly picture of what goes on in the governor's office. And what we have here are allegations of sexual harassment, again, creating a toxic work environment, creating a hostile work environment of unwanted touching and groping, and of one incident of uh, Governor Cuomo actually retaliating against somebody who reported this alleged harassment. So the report did not happen overnight, and neither did any of the allegations that were contained in this. If the allegations are true, this is not a one-off by Governor Cuomo. This is a pattern and practice of behavior that is enabled by those around him and one that occurred over a long period of time. Again, not just one person coming forward, not just a few people coming forward without corroborating evidence. This is a really damning report. I can't count the number of headlines I read yesterday that said bombshell report. Right. And it's important to note that these are accusations and allegations at this point. But now I read about Cuomo's response, but I also know that he released a pre-taped video statement that he made after the report was released. I know that you, Jessica, watched it live having done that. What did you think of that, uh, legally speaking, politically speaking? Yeah, I was about to go on a news program and talk about the report. And then they said, wait a minute, Governor Cuomo is releasing a statement. And I watched it Uh, while I was, you know, kind of mic'd up and uh, waiting to go on. And it it really changed 
my view because his response, honestly, Joe, it just felt like a relic from a bygone era. It was uh, really strange to listen to him. I think he made the decision that the best defense is a good offense. And there's no way that what he said and what the allegations detailed in the report can both be true. I mean, this would really be like a parallel universe situation. You just can't square... You know, 179 people, 11 women, corroboration for sexual harassment, retaliation, a toxic work environment with what he described. And, you know, I hate to say it, but it really sounded like it came straight out of a pre-Me Too movement playbook where his response was like, oh, but I, well, first with respect to one woman, his response, frankly, I read as blaming the victim. He said, well, you know, she's a survivor of sexual assault and she shared that with me and I was just trying to help. And to me that read as, look, she's just damaged goods. I was trying to do the best I can, but she can't be trusted. And that kind of blaming of the victim, I hope the sands have really shifted from underneath people who do that and that that will no longer be seen as acceptable. And then, Joe, there was the... Well, you know, I'm just older, and implication being I'm from an era where it's okay to be friendly to people. And then very similarly to that, well, look, I'm, you know, I'm Italian. This is my culture. Don't fault me for, you know, being physically warm to people. And then there was this montage of Governor Cuomo basically embracing or kissing people of both sexes throughout the years. And you know, one, I'm sorry to the staffer who had to put that together. And two, Joe, you know this, you can be physically warm with people in a consensual way. You can be a gregarious person, but that does not translate into it being acceptable to grope people, to touch them in an unwanted way. And that's what's detailed in the report. So my response is that Governor Cuomo just doubled down. He was very defiant. There was no falling on his sword at all. Brazen denial certainly is a strategy that has been employed for these sorts of situations in the past. And like you said, the Me Too movement has changed that conversation for the better. Now, Jessica, I agree with you. I do indeed feel badly for that intern who had to compile all those video clips of uh, their boss kissing and hugging people. So uh, that's a job that nobody wants. So you mentioned back in there, Jessica, in terms of legal hot water, he might be in some trouble for this. Does Cuomo face possible charges for any of these accusations or is it too soon to tell? Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's too soon to tell. I do think he faces possible charges. So what the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, said is, look, this investigation was based on civil wrongs, and the conclusions in the report indicate that there are violations of federal and state law when it comes to civil issues, again, not criminal issues. And it's interesting that she didn't herself decide to bring criminal charges. I, you know, there've been a lot of guesses about why she didn't. What she basically said is I'm done here. And if local prosecutors want this report and what went into this report, then they can get it. And that's already what has happened. The Albany district attorney, the local prosecutor has said, yeah, we'd like all your information. And that indicates that they're at least interested in looking at whether or not they'll bring criminal charges. Um, and then, of course, there's potential civil liability here where the women who came forward can um, 
potentially go to court and sue Governor Cuomo. Again, that would be a civil suit and use this report as pretty damning evidence of what they experienced. So yes, he could face both civil liability and criminal liability. Joe, you know, you said this and it is important to reiterate that these are allegations. A judge has not found that these allegations are true. Obviously, it was a thorough investigation and they found a consistent pattern of behavior, but that's different from being found uh, liable in a civil court or guilty in a criminal court. All right, Jessica. So what is next for Governor Cuomo? Can you think his political career can survive these kinds of accusations? Is he at this point a political dead man walking? And the biggest question of all, how much longer do you think he will be governor? Do you think he's going to resign in a matter of hours or days? Not if it's up to him. I mean, he was absolutely defiant. As I said, I mean, he really said, look, I, I'm i just trying to fight for you, New Yorkers. He ended with saying there's so much work to be done when it comes to COVID. Um, and he survived a lot longer than a lot of people thought he could. Now, he's totally, as far as I can see, lost the support of the Democratic Party. He, I don't think, ever had the support of members of the Republican Party. And he's really out there on his own. So as we saw last night, President Biden said, yep, time to resign. Now, I think there's kind of two tracks of political pressure. There'll be this outside political pressure of people saying, step down, governor. And he's shown absolutely you know, no appetite um, to do that. And he's really withstood the pressure. And then the other track would be whether or not he could be impeached. Now, I don't think that New York has impeached anybody since uh, my memory is 1913. I didn't write this down. And they don't have a lot of case precedent, therefore, for what an impeachment looks like. We know that an impeachment in the state of New York would really broadly kind of look the way it does on the federal level. So first, the lower house, the assembly, would um, vote by a simple majority uh, and say, yes, Governor Cuomo should be impeached. And then it would go to the New York Senate. But the difference here is it would go to the Senate and New York's Court of Appeals, which is actually New York's highest court. It's actually New York's uh, Supreme Court, state Supreme Court, but it's called the Court of Appeals. And uh, it would not go to the speaker of the head of the New York Senate because that person is second in line and it's viewed as a conflict of interest. So it will be really interesting to see if impeachment proceedings actually do go forward. I know that there's a a small kind of committee in the New York Assembly that's been looking at that, and they're going to uh, provide a report within the next few days on that. So stay tuned to see what's happening with respect to the impeachment proceedings against Governor Cuomo and if they um, if they're ever instituted. And as we like to say, Jessica, if it happens, tune in to us. We'll give you the latest on that legal and political news out of New York. But let's move on to our second topic for today and talk about Alabama Congressman Mo Brooks and his relation to the insurrection on January the 6th. A House Select Committee is currently investigating who knew what and when about that insurrection at our Capitol building when one of those witnesses is likely to be Congressman Brooks because he spoke at the rally before the mob marched to the Capitol building saying things like, quote, today is the day American patriots start taking names and kicking ass. Brooks is also the subject of a lawsuit filed by California Congressman Eric Swalwell in which he alleges that Brooks helped to incite the riot at the Capitol. So what was Brooks' first defense to that particular suit? 
Yeah, and Eric Swallow, of course, being a former guest on Passing Judgment. Uh, so his first offense is, I shouldn't be in this lawsuit. So there is a federal law that, Joe, I think we've spoken about briefly in the past. It's a 1988 law called the Westfall Act. And very generally what it says is that if a federal employee is sued for certain uh, civil wrongs, then they are actually immune. And what happens is the Department of Justice will step in and will basically take their place. And because the Department of Justice steps in, the case then uh, goes to federal court because you are suing the federal government. Now, there are some situations where you can't sue the federal government, for instance, for defamation, and therefore the cases would be dismissed because you have now a different defendant, the federal government. So the way that you get the protection of the Westfall Act is that you say that what you were doing falls within the scope of your employment, that what you were doing falls within your official acts as a federal employee. So that's the first thing that Mo Brooks said is basically not it. Uh, I, I don't want to be here. The Department of Justice should step in and defend me, and therefore I will be dismissed from the case. All right. So then what did the DOJ say in turn recently about that particular defense? Uh, the DOJ said, Mo Brooks, find a new wingman. Basically, no, we're not going to, in fact, step in for you. We're not going to defend against this suit. And they said that because they said this was not within the scope of your employment. The Department of Justice memo, maybe we'll drop it in the um, episode notes, and I will allow people to read it for themselves if they want to. But it is really, in some ways, a, a takedown of at least the allegations against Mo Brooks. What they said is, look, this was a campaign rally. It wasn't uh, official work by the congressman. And the other thing they said is, if any of this is true, it can't be that trying to, and I'm paraphrasing here, everybody, but it can't be that trying to overthrow uh, the government prevent members of uh, the legislative branch from doing their job, which is, again, to, they were there to certify election results on that day, that that can't be within the scope of your employment. That can't be an official duty. Um, so it, it was a very interesting memo to read and obviously um, Congress, not one that Congressman Mo Brooks wanted to read. And it looks like Brooks has no intention of throwing in the towel. He's just not going to take this brush off from the DOJ. In fact, there is some late breaking news about this particular story today. Brooks asked a federal judge for immunity from the civil lawsuit, saying that he was not campaigning at the speech prior to the election and that he was addressing the crowd about the certification of the 2020 presidential election in his capacity as a United States congressman. So, Jessica, how does this development change the situation or does it change it at all? It, it may not. So this is what can happen under the Westfall Act, which is if the Department of Justice says, no, uh, basically, we don't think you fall within the Westfall Act, then um, whoever wants the protection of the act can go to court and say, I'd like you to find that I was acting within the scope of my employment. And that's really just what Mo Brooks is doing now. This is the next step. And it will be really interesting to see whether or not a federal judge sides with him. Now, he is saying, look, I was there as a member of Congress. Uh, we were talking about an election. And that sounds like official duties to me. Very different view, of course, if you read the Department of Justice findings, which is, yeah, but if you were there to try and thwart 
the government, if you were there to try and prohibit people from doing their constitutional duty, we're not going to go ahead and say that that falls within the scope of your official duty. So this is just really, um, in a way, we can view this almost as Brooks appealing the Department of Justice decision. And again, we'll wait to see what a federal judge says. All right. And we all know that Donald Trump himself is implicated in Swalwell's lawsuit. So what does this have to do with the former president? Well, a lot, potentially. So the Department of Justice memo was really interesting in that it says, you know, Mo Brooks, basically, you don't get Westfall Act protection. And then there's this line where they say, and other federal employees, meaning other federal employees that are similarly situated to um, Mo Brooks. Again, finding that this is a campaign event, not an official event, and looking at what was said and finding that that doesn't fall within official conduct. Um, And it's really difficult to see how President Trump would get out of that, which is another way of saying it's difficult to see how, if this is the conclusion for Mo Brooks, it wouldn't also be the conclusion for President Trump, which is that he similarly cannot get this Westfall Act uh, protection. Now, he's also asking for basically a different type of immunity. But when it comes to this Westfall Act protection, again, it I think a court would likely, if they're going to agree with the Department of Justice memo, they're going to agree that the reasoning applies both to Mo Brooks and to former President Trump. All right. So then what does this have to do with Trump and a woman who sued him for sexual assault? Her name was E. Jean Carroll. Yes. uh, Journalist E. Jean Carroll. We've talked about her, I believe, in a previous episode. She actually sued former President Trump for defamation. And this is based on her allegations that uh, Trump sexually assaulted her uh, years ago before he took office. And she made allegations, again, that Trump sexually assaulted her in, I believe it was a department store. He said, I didn't do that. I've never met her. And she sued for defamation under the theory that his denial, uh, because it was untrue, amounts to defamation. Now, what happened in that case is that President Trump said, okay, I'm being sued in civil court. And um, the Department of Justice said that they would, in fact, defend him under the Westfall Act, that his statement saying, I didn't sexually assault her, I've never met her, and then he said a number of other, I would characterize them as disparaging things, um, that that does fall within the scope of his employment um, if he, in fact, is considered to be a federal employee, which is a separate legal issue. And so in that case, the Department of Justice said, we're going to go ahead and stand in for President Trump, and therefore they become the defendant. The case goes to federal court, and that effectively ends the case because you can't sue the federal government in this situation for defamation. Um, That particular issue is still being litigated, but um, some people, including myself, feel like it's strange to say that denying a allegations of sexual assault that happened before President Trump was ever in office, that that's within the scope of employment, but that being at a, uh, a rally talking about the certification of election results is not within the scope of employment. And don't get me wrong, my conclusion is that neither should be found to fall within Westfall Act protection. All right, Jessica, I'm fairly confused at this point. So who, if anyone, can fix this mess? So 
Yeah, if Congress could fix this mess. So the way you determine whether or not an activity falls within the scope of employment is to look at what the local jurisdiction where the actions took place say. And every local jurisdiction has rules on what falls within the scope of employment because employers have to know whether or not they're liable for the torts of their employees. In this case, you're looking at a DC law. Now, I I do think that Congress could have a role here in clarifying, at least with respect to um, the president and our members of Congress, what in fact would allow people to have this protection. Now, it is important to remember that I think the protection makes a lot of sense. Federal employees have to make a lot of different decisions and statements, and we don't want people to say, I want to be part of public service. I want to work in the government. But because I make so many public decisions, I might be subject to a lot of lawsuits and that would bankrupt me. And I think that that's basically the idea behind the act. But it feels to me like it's it's been stretched um, to the breaking point when it comes to particularly that decision in the E. Jean Carroll case. So Congress could have a role, kind of clarify the statute. Will they do anything? Uh, no, as always, it's my role in life to be doom and gloom, and I do not think they will do anything. And therefore, leaving us other things to talk about on future episodes of the Passing Judgment podcast. Jessica, you know we love talking about these things. So let's move on to our final topic today, and that is that Trump's tax returns are back in the news once again. When it comes to Trump's tax returns, it seems like, if you'll allow me a pop culture reference, Jessica, it reminds me of the roll call scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off when actor Ben Stein plays an endlessly monotonous high school economics teacher doing roll call and calling out for the missing Ferris Bueller saying, Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. So the story of Trump's taxes goes on and on and on, Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. We've been hearing that we'll see Donald Trump's tax return since before the 2016 election. In 2014, for example, Trump himself said that he would, quote, absolutely release his tax returns if he decided to run for president. Now, that was in an interview with a television journalist in Ireland, during which he went on to say, quote, if I decide to run for office, I'll produce my tax returns. Absolutely. I would love to do that. We all know how that played out since then. We've heard about Trump's false claims that he couldn't release his taxes because he was under audit. Now, nothing about being audited legally prevents a candidate or someone else from releasing their tax information. And it is common knowledge, Jessica, that every president since Richard Nixon in the early 1970s has released at least some form of their tax returns or tax information. Trump shatters norms everywhere he goes, and he has yet to release his tax information. So why are Trump's taxes back in the news, Jessica? And will we or someone or anyone finally ever see Trump's taxes? Bueller, 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 Bueller. (laughs) I love that you asked. Like I would say, no, no references to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, That's too contemporary for me. I simply have no idea what you're talking about. So uh, why is this back in the news? Because the Department of Justice has said, yes, when it comes to Congress's request, and in fact, um, more than request uh, for Trump's tax returns, that they have a legally valid reason to do this. So there's a federal law that essentially allows three members of Congress to request any taxpayer's information. And any taxpayer includes uh, the president of the United States. And this was, as, as we said, this really has been heavily fought and litigated. And finally, the conclusion is 
Congress. You're not on a partisan witch hunt. You're not on a fishing expedition. Um, you're looking into a number of things, including whether or not the president had a financial conflicts of interest uh, that could raise national security issues. And uh, that could lead to questions about whether or not we need to change certain legislation. So, okay, you have enough of a reason here that you get to ask for this information. Now, the decision does allow President Trump to go to court and say, no, I contest this, which he's doing. But if, in fact, Congress gets this information, it doesn't automatically mean that it becomes public. It means that there are certain members of Congress who get to see the information. Congress tends to be a little bit of a leaky ship, so it increases the chances that we get to see some of this information. But Joe, of course, you remember, and we've talked about that the New York Times did an amazing job of reporting some of the information contained in former President Trump's tax returns. And of course, this information already has been turned over to some criminal investigators in New York. So another kind of Stay tuned as to whether or not we will see this information. I suspect that at this point, it probably is a matter of time. All right. So with this go round the track with Trump's taxes, Bueller, 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 will this lead to charges of some kind someday? You know, I don't know if this is going to lead to different charges again, because criminal investigators in New York do have this information And we know that the New York Attorney General and the Manhattan DA have basically partnered and looked at a lot of former President Trump's financial information. So whether or not this would bring new charges, I just don't know. Again, this is a separate and parallel track. It's Congress, and Congress cannot on its own, obviously, initiate criminal proceedings. Congress can just impeach, and they already tried to do that twice. And I don't think there's any argument that you could impeach former President Trump at this point. And so with that update, talking about, let's be honest, some politicians behaving badly, Governor Cuomo and President Trump, we have our episode for the beginning of this week. You can find Joe on Twitter and Instagram at indepthday, www.indepthday.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Levinson Jessica. The podcast on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod, on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. We really do love to hear from you. Let us know if you want us to cover a certain topic, if you want us to talk more about something, if you want us to talk less. Maybe you're out of luck because we really do love the things that we cover. Uh, but we absolutely love having these conversations and hopefully you love listening to them. We have some great guests coming up and we wish everybody a wonderful day. You alert. You alert.